Welcome to the Change Alchemist podcast. This is your host Shobhana Vishwanathan. Today's guest is MR Rangaswamy, also popularly called MR. MR is a software executive, investor, entrepreneur, corporate eco-strategy expert, community builder and philanthropist. Recognized as a software business expert, he participated in the rapid expansion of the Silicon Valley software industry during his tenure. as an executive at both large and small software companies in 1997 he co-founded sandhill group one of the earliest angel investment firms and was featured on the front page of the wall street journal he produced the prestigious enterprise and software conferences that were held in silicon valley he was also listed on the forbes midas list of investors mr is the publisher of sandhill.com a leading website for entrepreneurs, VCs and CIOs. In 2007, MR embarked on a new venture as the founder of the Corporate Eco Forum, an invitation-only membership organization for global 500 companies that demonstrate a serious commitment to the environment as a business strategy issue. In 2012, MR founded Indiaspora to unite Indian Americans and to transform their success into meaningful impact in India and on the global stage. Today we have MR Rangaswamy. MR, you've been in the valley for a long time. I'm sure our listeners would love to hear about your journey and how you got here and how you're a legend here. Well, that's uh, very flattering and thank you for having me here. I was an accidental Indian who came to Silicon Valley in 1982. I had a comfortable job in Houston, Texas, working in a manufacturing company when I met with a consultant there who looked at my background and said, "You should be in Silicon Valley." It was uh one of those prophetic uh recommendations he made which got me to look into what Silicon Valley was all about. hard to find at that time in 1982 there was no linkedin no facebook none of this stuff how do you even find out information about silicon valley so I went about the old fashioned way of going to a library to look at old newspapers from the bay area san francisco chronicle and the san jose mercury which finally led me to sending some resumes to company in the bay area and one of them was crazy enough to hire me which is what brought me to silicon valley in 1982 And uh, tell us a little bit about how Silicon Valley was back then and um, your early experiences. Like I said, I was an accidental Indian, and I met <laughs> that really uh, because there was hardly any Indians there. Maybe a few thousand Indians at best. There were no grocery stores, no restaurants, nothing. Right? It was the and and uh, most of the Indians were tech technical people as well. So that was the kind of the realm. But we had so many people at that time. in the tech community who wanted to change the world people like steve jobs larry ellison and and vinod kosla and so on and so forth were the original people there who wanted to make a difference and and so nobody really felt at that time uh, where it was going to go and what was going to play out obviously i can look 38 years later and say wow i i i was lucky to be here but nobody knew at that time we were all trying to kind of do our own little bit to improve things uh four companies four customers four people but little did we realize that uh the result could be so life changing 
so uh, you know, changing for the whole world, you know. I think fast forward 38 years, we're in 2020, and um, this has been a, an interesting year for most of us. And as you uh, mentioned, um, you know, one thing that's been a saving grace is all the social networks. We have LinkedIn, we have Facebook, we have a plethora of social networks. And I thought for this talk, uh, we, we could focus on sort of the power of networks. And one question that comes to mind is before LinkedIn and Facebook, everybody, especially in sales, would keep saying always be closing. Now ABC uh, has morphed from always be closing to always be connecting, uh, which kind of gets me to my question. People think of networking as, you know, connecting. And then there's networks. And networking has had a bad rap, right? You go to a cocktail party, exchange cards, but it's much more than that. Love to get your thoughts on the differences and the importance of networks. Yeah, so let me kind of take you back to a story that uh, was real life for me. I had left corporate uh, life in 1996 when my uh, secretary at my old company had given me all the business cards I had. And, it, and, and, and I was going through that, there were four binders and there were thousand cards in each binder. And I'm like, I've got 4,000 business cards, you know? Maybe I should have thought of LinkedIn at that time, but this was way <laughs> before LinkedIn. So really what happened at that time was I wanted to see how I could keep in touch with these 4,000 people. And there was no technology at that time in 1996. So what I was talking to friends and they said, why don't you have a party? and invite all these people. But I said, no, no one's going to just come to a party. And that's why I started a conference, mm -hmm. which was an excuse for people to get together. So in those days, the way to get together was physically be together in a place, right? And that's how I got started initially. And to just explain the difference between networking and network, networking is, I think, in a sense, very much individualistic very much with your agenda in mind, whereas a network is something someone creates with greater purpose. Mm -hmm. So let me give you an example of the first network I started, mm -hmm. and you'll get a better feel for what I mean. So I started this group of 100 CEOs and leaders in the B2B technology software ecosystem. So it's all the B2B CEOs, right? And this was a network I started in 1998 when we had our first retreat of 100 people, including CEOs of SAP and all the other big companies that are in that space, right? So what is that network and how is that different from networking? Mm -hmm. So this network had purpose, right? And so the purpose there was we are going to give back mm -hmm. to people who are less privileged and to projects that would get us connected and make us more inclusive, mm -hmm. It also made everyone aware they all had to pay money. Okay. So there was value to the conference. So everybody had to pay $6,000, including keynotes, mm -hmm. which was completely a different business model than anyone had witnessed. Mm -hmm. So not only had people had to pay to come and speak and pay to attend, but all the profits, the entire profits went to nonprofits. And we brought the CEOs of these nonprofits to be part of this retreat mm -hmm. so that they could be mentored, they could learn, they could grow, they could get advisory board members, additional funding, and so on and so forth. So that was the purpose of this network. So you see what the greater purpose was, what the cause was, 
It was not on the people attending, but it was on problems and issues. And everybody gathered together to support that. Okay, that's uh, wonderful. Do you feel like what you know is more important, who you know or what you know? I think your network is important, but again, you know, if you're using it for selfish reasons, then it, it loses its meaning, right? Mm -hmm. So really, if you have a network, I always think, how can I utilize the network? How can I leverage the network for greater good and not for my own edification and, and to make money for myself or companies I work with and so on and so forth? What can we do with this network for greater good? That's how I, I approach it. And uh, for example, the enterprise retreat network that I started over the first 10 years gave away over a million dollars to nonprofits, but also lots of people attending the, the retreat gave thousands and tens of thousands of more dollars and they own time to a lot of nonprofits. So it was a leverage effect as well, not just us giving money, but everybody collectively doing more, right? So what are some of the networks you, uh, you've spearheaded? You mentioned enterprise. Are there other networks you'd like to kind of also mention? Sure. So the, like I said, the purpose of enterprise, I made that clear. Mm -hmm. And now I, I paused it after 10 years. Mm -hmm. And then I restarted it two years ago because a whole bunch of the uh, older crowd came back to me and said, listen, we benefited from the enterprise network 10 years ago. Can we do something like that to give back to the next generation of entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. people who are starting companies in the cloud and SaaS. Mm -hmm. Can we help these younger generation with our experience? And so I restarted that two years ago and it's been, again, got great traction and we've given away $300,000 just in the past two years. So it's, it's, it's really revived and doing well. But when I stopped or paused enterprise you know, in 2007, I was trying to figure out what else I should do. Mm -hmm. And really my next network was driven by me wanting to be a good role model to my two young daughters okay. who were pretty young. And I said, why would they be interested in their dad? And I said, if I was doing good, maybe mm -hmm. they would be interested. So a lot of my friends said, why don't you look at green tech and clean tech, maybe as an, as an area that you can be, bring the same kind of focus and network to. And so I started in that area. I talked to about 80 different Fortune 500 executives to find out what were the challenges, what were the problems, how could I be helpful. I ended up creating my second network called the Corporate Eco Forum. Mm -hmm. And the website is just ecoforum.com. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you go there, you'll see it's a network of 70 of the world's largest companies. Mm -hmm. So it's a closed network. All my networks are typically closed mm -hmm. where it's only for the members. Okay. Uh, but we do other activities outside of the, the members, but the main forums are all closed. So this is a forum of 70 of the world's largest companies, companies like Amazon and Apple and Disney and UPS and Ford, you name it, all the big brands. Uh, they have someone in their company called the Chief Sustainability Officer. Mm -hmm. And so we are a network to help them mitigate, mitigate climate change, to reduce greenhouse gases, to improve their purchasing of renewable energy, so to help them in all their efforts to make their companies good corporate citizens. So again, the purpose of Corporate Eco Forum is to make large corporations better. Because when I started this network, I said I could do three things with a network I could start in the space. One is I could work with governments, influence policy, influence politicians to create regulations to do things. I could be 
uh, start an NGO to maybe protest and pressure corporations to do things. Or the third thing is to work with the large corporations themselves. So the members of CEF or Corporate Eco Forum, their revenues are over $4 trillion. Mm -hmm. So it's like a G7 nation. And if we can help these companies move the needle a little bit, the whole world is going to change. It's certainly very impactful, especially in these times when California is burning and we have climate change upon us. I, I think it's time for people with you know, deep pockets to, to do something. Right. And, and the other thing is, in all these things, one of the things I make a personal commitment is to, to go at it for at least 10 years. Okay. Because all these things, like a network, takes time, mm -hmm. takes effort to actually create, produce, invigorate, mm -hmm. you know, nurture. It takes a lot of time. Mm -hmm. So you've got to make a commitment. It's not like, hey, I'm going to start a network and uh, I'm going to do it for two years. You know, that doesn't hold. So your networks have been purpose-driven and uh, fueled by your mission and passion um, and desire to be a role model in, in the case of uh, the second network you started. Now, if assuming that um, there are only, you know, the, there are six degrees of separation and in the valley, it's probably less than that. It's probably three. It's, is it fair to say anybody can start a network? Uh, anybody can start a network, but it's, uh, you shouldn't be starting that network uh, to be able to meet the president of a country or the prime minister or a Nobel laureate, mm -hmm. right? I think, you know, the purpose of, like I said, even if it's your network, let's say you're going to start a network, mm -hmm. you have to find out what is, what is the purpose of doing it. And it has to have greater meaning. It's not like, oh, it's going to help me make more money. That's not a network. You know, so you've got to have some kind of greater purpose, like you're going to create a community of women in technology. Mm -hmm. Okay, that gives you purpose. Right. And it's not uh, about any one person. It's about the power of the network. Mm -hmm. It's about 10, 20, 50 people getting together to do something that gives you power. Mm -hmm. And you have to have value systems like you can't, you know, kind of be selfish. You can't try to have ulterior motives. It has to be genuine. You have to do it with greater good in mind. So you've got to put a lot of values into network, even if it's a book club that you're starting as a network. It's got to have some meaning to you, right? So always think of why you want to create a network, okay? And what does that mean for you? Can you be passionate enough to be able to convince other people to join it? And will you have the time commitment to nurture it and to make it successful? So you've been very successful with both your both the networks you mentioned, and you you also have a third network. Do you want to talk about that as well? Sure. One of the things, being Indian American, I've always gone back to India. I go back to India at least three to four times a year to meet family and to see what I can do to help the country. And I was hosting an event in Bangalore for a few hundred people ten years ago, and by helping it and and mentoring it grown it to over 2,000 entrepreneurs a year ago. So as I was giving back to the Indian uh, tech ecosystem in a way, I was thinking of what should I be doing in my own homeland, which is the United States now, where I live in San Francisco, can I do something for the Indian community in the US? And I didn't want to reinvent the wheel. You know, both my networks that I've created, one thing I made sure was I was not reinventing an organization that was already there. You know, create something that was purposeful, that was different, unique, and differentiated, right? So looking at Indian organizations, once again, I went and talked to over 100 leaders 
in the Indian community, NGO heads, community organizers, different people to find out what was lacking. And so what I found with the Indian community was we had very good ethnic groups, like for different ethnic groups within India, or we had different professional networks, like for entrepreneurs, for doctors, for lawyers and the like. But there was no organization that brought together the entire community, doctors, lawyers, tech folks, academics, authors and artists and so forth. So I thought that would be a network that's worth creating because it gives us a purpose of involving the entire community, right? And then we had to find very detailed objectives for this network because it's, you don't want this to be so large, it does nothing, right? <laughs> so the members set out three different goals. One was to be more politically engaged. Two was to be really involved in the communities you live in. And the third was to be more philanthropic. Okay. Again, it had good goals that everybody bought into. And that's the purpose of, of Indiaspora. In terms of the changes you've seen, in the time you've been in the Valley and building networks, does technology play a big role now in your network? Just the model, the framework? If so, how, how have networks changed for you? Yeah, it's a great question because uh, COVID has really made us all rethink everything we do. And so all my three networks, we had to rethink everything we do. Mm-hmm. And you know, my enterprise network has been going on since 1998 with a pause in the middle. EcoForum has been going on for 13 years. Indiaspora is eight years old. So we were all originally based on the physical model of live events, getting people together and retreats and so on and so forth. We had to now dramatically change this to being 100% online. Mm -hmm. So it took a lot of work, a lot of effort on our teams. You know, I have full-time teams on each one and they all had to redo their entire models. And it it took a few months to really get it right. But now everything has gone the opposite way. It's like everything is virtual. So we hope, and this has actually worked out pretty well. We're able to do more events, more micro events, also reach a larger population set we couldn't reach to really be more inclusive. So it's helped us in a lot of ways, but I don't think it's the panacea. I think we need to eventually evolve into a hybrid model. And I quite don't know what that's going to look like because It could take us a year or two, but I think now it's brought so much focus on all the social media elements, right? LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. You know, all these have become a lot more right front, right and center of all the activities we do, because when we do these virtual events, you know, how do you get people to attend? How do you get people to know what it's all about? So absolutely, we've been pushed far more into the digital sphere than we ever thought we would be. And it looks like you have boundless energy to, you know, not just start a network, but start two more and continue with them. Maybe I could kind of ask about sort of your superpower. If you were to kind of pinpoint a superpower, what would that be? I, you know, the thing I like to do whenever I meet someone new is to find out their values, what they're interested in, and try to see how I can add value. That's simple. It's not what I need from them is what can I do for them. And uh, the other thing is, if anybody approaches me for a favor or anything, I never look at a quid pro quo. You help people if you can, 
you try to add value if you can, and the rest of it has so far taken care of me. Okay. Would you be able to provide any books that have influenced you and your philosophy of what you just mentioned? Any recommendations for the listeners? Yeah, I mean, there have been two or three books that have made an influence. One is the autobiography of Mahatma Gandhi. That's really a thousand pages long, but it, it left a big impression on me with an individual who could use new methods to gain impact, to make an impact, to also admit a lot of things he had done wrong, which hardly anyone does, is to actually admit you've done things that are wrong, and to also be very obstinate and steadfast in what you believe in. Mm -hmm. So a lot of good things you can learn from him. The other book that's been very useful in my tech journey has been someone you also probably know and have done events with and so forth is Jeffrey Moore. Yes. You know, the Crossing the Chasm is one of these evergreen books you can read and reread, and it's always applicable whether you're in enterprise software or you're in SaaS or cloud or any of the new technologies. You still got to cross the chasm. You still have to look at what it takes. I think that's been very influential in my angel investing and working with startups and, and so forth. It's still something, the framework is uh, something I still use. And uh, then one, the other one is uh, the Sherlock Holmes books. <laughs> uh, in a sense that it arouses curiosity. You know, when you meet someone and you look at their clothes or you look at their shoes or look at some of their things and try to deduce and try to find out where they came from or who they are all about and stuff. It gives you that curiosity. And again, a lot of times Sherlock Holmes was wrong in what he deduced. <laughs> but, you know, it's that it, it, it instills uh, curiosity in you, I think, finding out more than you know. I think a fascinating choice of books. And uh, Jeffrey Moore is on my podcast. And um, to your point, his book has been around for 25 years, but the examples have changed, but the framework's still valid. And I have not read the autobiography of Gandhi. I think I should go and read that. Absolutely. Well worth doing. Now, you had mentioned that you do some work with startups and fund startups. How have your networks helped your other, the other facets of your life, like venture funding, for example? Yeah. One of the things I did first uh, before I created all these networks was when I left corporate life in 96, I became an angel investor before the term was coined. And initially, I used to not only invest in companies, but also help them mm -hmm. uh, because I had a lot more time at that point. Mm -hmm. uh, but now I've become a little bit more passive in, in investing in deals. I still am active in a few deals, very limited number, but most of them I'm pretty passive. And I've done over 100 deals in the past uh, 20 years. So I do about five a year. It's not that many deals, but I do end up at least once, I meet at least two entrepreneurs every week. These days it's by Zoom, but in the old days it was coffee or lunch or dinner. And so I've met a couple of, more than a couple of thousand entrepreneurs one-on-one -on -one over, over this time. And what has helped me there is some kind of pattern recognition that I think, which has been somewhat helpful, although I can look back at all my deals and the ones I thought that went, were going to do really well have failed. And once I didn't think that highly of have succeeded, so I don't think I can take any of that more than saying it was lucky that I did well on some of the deals. Over half my deals have been wiped out and so forth. So I think the whole angel investing thing uh, is fun to do. I'm passionate about it. 
but it's not something that anyone can get really good at unless they have lots of luck. <laughs> okay, thank you. What's your favorite quote? Do you have a quote you live by? Any maxims you live by? There's only one thing because a lot of people come to me and even my kids come to me and, and they might complain about something or want to you know, say something has to be changed and this is incorrect. And my only quote, and this is the one I follow is, the Nike slogan, just do it. <laughs> Love because it. we can always think of when is it going to be the right time or how can I make a change happen? The only way it happens is you do it. I think that's, uh, that's great. Now, we have a lot of listeners who are actually uh, starting out. There are people that are more seasoned. If there were three takeaways you would give to the listeners of this podcast and focused on your topic of today, which is impact of networks, what would they be? Yeah, I would say one of the things you need to do is instead of networking, think of creating your own network of some sort. It could be, like I said, a book club. It could be a lunch club, whatever it is. Create a network and not just do networking would definitely be one of that. The second thing is have a greater purpose in, in whatever you do, whether it's building a network or what you want to do in life take a greater purpose of what you want to do this for. And the third thing I would add is don't ever expect anything from others. You know, you do it because you want to do it. Don't do it because you expect anything in return. Fabulous. Thank you for your time, MR. It's been uh, really great chatting with you and I Hope to see you soon. Maybe we can talk about your journey and what, you, what your networks are doing in a couple of years now. Great. And one thing if I might leave you with is the websites of all these networks. I didn't mention it. So the enterprise one is enterprise.sandhill.com. I happened to get Sandhill 25 years ago before the VCs took it, and it's still my email as well. So enterprise.sandhill.com if you want to look at that network ecoforum.com if you want to look at the sustainability network and indiaspora.org if you want to look at the Indian American network. Oh, thank you for the links. And how can viewers, listeners get um, engaged? Can they just I'm, on, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. Those are the easiest ways to get to me. My Twitter is MR Sandhill for Mr. Sandhill. <laughs> and you can find me on the, all the other networks as well. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Great to be here. Hope you enjoyed this episode with MR Rangaswamy. My top three takeaways. Number one, networking has gotten a bad rap, but a network is not networking and networks can be powerful force multipliers. Number two, anyone can start a network as the world becomes increasingly digital. What's stopping you? Number three, it's important to understand the why behind the network and not look at building a network tactically, but look at it strategically and build for long-term gains and not short-term gains. If you've enjoyed this podcast, subscribe on iTunes, tell your friends about the Change Alchemist podcast and thank you for listening. See you next week for another episode.